The Culture Pop Podcast is brought to you by the law offices of Jacob Imrani. Accident or injury, call Jacob Imrani, call Jacob. Hey, it's Mace. If you or a friend or loved one is injured in an accident, the first person you should call is my friend Jacob. When I did this, Jacob was great. He helped me by talking through the next steps, which really put my mind at ease. When you're injured in an accident, you got to have an expert. That's why you call Jacob, just like I did. Call Jacob, 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. Or visit calljacob.com. Call Jacob. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason, along with Sue Kalinsky. Sue Baloo, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm wearing black. I'm trying to slim, look slim because my husband does not stop baking cakes. Oh, really? So he baked a cake last night. Yeah. Pecan streusel. Oh, God. Sounds so good. Oh my God. And, you know, I say to him, you know, it's like a blessing and a curse with you because if it's there, I'm just going to eat like the whole cake. I'm the way I'm the same way. I mean, if there's cake in the house, forget it. I know. And I said to him, stop bringing fattening stuff into the house. And he said, I want to, I want to get you fat. So you won't leave me. Oh, well, I guess that's, mm, that's, No. no, no. No, no. no. Uh-uh. Now, does he like the cake? Of course he does. Is he making it for himself more than for you? Well, we actually have a guest who loves uh, Tom's baking and his cooking. Oh, okay. so we he made it. He made it specially for our friend David. I'm wearing but, black as well. You know, I weigh twenty pounds less than I did a year ago. You look great. Yeah, yeah, I feel good. No, I've been working really hard at it, and we've got our big uh, all-star softball game coming up, and I wanted to make sure that I, I'm i in uh, peak physical condition. So I think I'm there. I think I'm there. What pos- what position do you play? Uh, DH. I'm just going to DH. No. <laughs> <laughs> no glove for me. I'm just DH, and I'll come up every nine hitters, and that's good for me. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Right. yeah. So uh, coming up, Nico Santos is going to join us. He's got a brand new movie called Happiness for Beginners, which is going to start streaming on Netflix. In the meantime, Sue, July the 21st. Are you ready for July the 21st? I don't know, but I do hope you, I am. Do you know what it is? I don't. It's Barbenheimer. Barbenheimer. It's, it's Barbenheimer. Barbenheimer. Now, do you know what that is? I- uh, I do not. Okay. So on the 21st, two of the biggest movies of the summer are coming out. One is Barbie featuring Margot Robbie oh. as Barbie and uh, Ryan Gosling as Ken. And then the other uh, now- movie coming out is Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. Okay. Directed cool. by Christopher Nolan. Uh, so you've got Barbenheimer. Okay. Now, is that, is that, did you just make that up or is that what people are calling it? I would love to say I made it up, but that is what the variety is calling it. They're calling it Barbenheimer. So it's a okay. big day, big day for the summer movie season. So which of those movies are you interested in? One, both, neither. I'm interested in both, but Oppenheimer more. Yeah. I'm, bar- I'm telling you, I'm just going to call it Barbenheimer. Oppenheimer, I cannot wait for. I'm a huge Christopher Nolan fan. He says that. It's almost, it's so visceral that it's almost like a horror film and people walk away really shaken from it. 
Uh, it's a mm. story of Robert or Robert Oppenheimer who uh, developed the atomic bomb. Killian Murphy uh, plays Oppenheimer. It looks fantastic. I am going to see both movies on that weekend. I'm going to celebrate Barbenheimer the way it was meant to be celebrated. See both movies back to back. Oh, I thought you were going to say that you were going to have a explosive cocktail and you'll be wearing pink. Oh, either one. Actually, uh, in Malibu, I don't know if you've seen this. They put up a Barbie's Dream House as a publicity yes. thing. It looks it looks really cool. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, no, as of right now, the tracking that is uh, what tells you what the box office is going to be is Barbie is tracking at about $80 million for opening weekend and Oppenheimer about $40 million for opening weekend. So that's a really big weekend in the uh, summer movies. But Barbenheimer, please be ready. One other thing I wanted to mention is uh, this was very nice. Uh, I was selected as one of the 75 most powerful and influential LGBTQ people in sports. I was number wow. 76. Oh, very cool. Now, uh, I, thought I, should have been a little, I thought I should have been a little higher, but, you know, that's just me. <laughs> who was number one? Uh, number one was Billie Jean King, uh, ah. who is uh, who's part owner of the, obviously, tennis, but part owner of the Dodgers. Then Megan Rapino, uh, Laura Ricketts, who's co-owner of the Chicago Cubs, Brittany Griner, who we all know, Eric Braverman, who's a friend of mine who's senior vice president at the Dodgers. Uh, He is uh, in charge of everything over there now. Sue Bird, uh, the uh, WNBA star, Carl Nassib, uh, the first um, uh, gay player to come out in the NFL. Amanda Nunez, which is a UFC fighter. George Cheeks, president and CEO of CBS Sports. And Sam Rappaport, who is senior director of the NFL. So I, I was very, very happy to make that list. Number 70. Six. It's next year. I, I've got my sight set on the top twenty. Okay. Do you have like PR happening right now? Got no? a publicist working on it. Exactly right. We're we're going to get that done. And and how did you find this out? Where was this announced? Uh, or where it, did you read it? It was uh, sent to me by a site called Outsports, which is made its whole you know career about. Uh, tracking people lgbtq people in sports so it follows all those stories so they're the ones that made the list and thank you very much i know sid ziggler over there uh is one of the editors or the founder of the outsports so it's very nice to be on that list well it's uh, nice to it's nice to be on a list huh yeah any list most lists yeah 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 exactly yeah 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 so uh (laughs) thank you very much to them so uh barbenheimer and the list of the most powerful LGBTQ people in sports. Um, All right, so here we go. Our guest today is an actor. He's a stand-up comic. His big break was in the NBC hit Superstore, but since then, he has co-starred in Crazy Rich Asians and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. His new movie is Happiness for Beginners. It will stream on Netflix starting July the 27th. Nico Santos is here. Nico, thanks so much for doing this. Thanks for having me. So uh, I want to, we'll talk about Guardians of the Galaxy and happiness for beginners and all this stuff. But I want to talk to you about Superstore, which you were nominated for the Critics' Choice Award at one point. What I love about the show is that besides being really funny, it is such a racially diverse 
cast. I mean, it's like the United Nations when you watch this show. I'm guessing, and I'm, by the way, I'm guessing that there's a fair amount of improv in the show. Is that true? Yes. Um, yes. I mean, that's one of the things that I really love I mean, to answer the, the first part of your question. It is, I mean, <clears throat> the, the show debuted like what, uh, 2015. And even back then, um, you know, we've made so many strides as far as the way things are cast now and, you know, representation and all of that. And, you know, we were one of the very few shows in 2015 that had a very diverse cast, which is really kind of crazy to say. Um, and it wasn't necessarily written that way. None of the characters uh, in the pilot script had a specific uh, ethnicity in mind, ex except for uh, Mateo's character, which was originally written as a, a straight Latino character. And they just sort of changed it um, to a queer Filipino character after I auditioned. Um, but which which is phenomenal it, it just allowed us to sort of like tell all these sort of stories that pertain to all of our different backgrounds which led to a richer you know um seasons of, uh, of six seasons of shows um but yes a lot of improv uh uh happened uh during filming um we always got the 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 written uh, take on the, what was on the page, uh, but the creators and the writers really gave us a lot of freedom to sort of just play uh, as the characters. And and you know when you're working with such incredible you know comedians and improvisers and and actors, like you know uh, it was just a really fun collaboration between everybody to just sort of like open up and just really just to play you know within the set, which was uh, I don't know I really. I really miss that feeling. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was really a, a pleasant surprise. We had Lauren Ashon uh, a while back, and oh. uh, I had I had never seen the show. And I guess the way life is these days, um, I just don't watch a lot of network television, you know. And um, and it's it's crazy. I mean, I think a lot of people are like, "Well, network television, it's not as good as the streaming television." Um, but it was so funny and so smart. Um, and America Ferrera, I wanted to ask you about working with her. She was an executive producer on the mm -hmm. show. Um, how much did she executive produce? I mean, that's, she, she did a lot. Um, you know, America, what was great about working with her was that, you know, she had been in a very successful show, you know, before Superstore. Uh, we all know Ugly Betty. And just sort of watching somebody who's seasoned like that, who's, who's been through all this before and, and she knew what questions to ask, you know, like she's also, you know, like she also directed a few episodes, um, uh, of Superstore as well. But like she was just like for somebody so young, she was, was just such a wealth of knowledge. And, you know, she was an incredible actress. Um, I think that's my favorite part about working on the show was it was such an education for me, especially because my background was in stand-up comedy and, you know, going into the show, actually, I was, I, I would say like, I kind of had a, a chip on my shoulder. Well, maybe not a chip, but like I, because I had a background in stand-up comedy, I was very much like, I have a good grasp on comedy and, and all that. But, you know, working in this environment, improvising is a very different muscle than stand up. And certainly, um, you know, television acting, film acting is a very different type of acting than theater. 
or life performance. So there was a lot of stuff that I had to sort of, you know, um, learn as we go and learning on the job. Um, and it was, you know, it's through watching, um, you know, my co-stars like America and Lauren and Mark McKinney and Colton and truly everybody that, that came through those doors and, uh, the people we worked with, um, it, it was really, really like probably the best education, uh, I got as a performer. Um, and I still, to this day, it's just sort of like whenever I'm kind of stumped on, you know, where to take a character or, or choices to make, I sort of like, will just sort of go through my Rolodex of what happened on set and, and really try to uh, figure out, you know, ways to tackle that through the lens of of the people I worked with. So I, I wanted to ask you, ahead, oh, just real quick, I wanted to ask you, because you talk about being a stand-up comedian, and I wanted to ask you about how much do you feel has come your way because you're a stand-up comedian? Because I did stand-up for many years, years ago. And, you know, you as a stand up, you have the opportunity to go on at a nightclub and be seen where actors, if you're not in something and no one's, you know, you have to get an right. audition. No one's going to see you anywhere. Right. So, right. I mean, that that's I would think the beauty of being a stand up. Yeah, I mean, with stand up comedy, especially if you are in a city like, you know, like Los Angeles and New York, where things are truly made. Um, there is that opportunity to be seen by a lot of people. And certainly I got a lot of exposure um, here in, in Los Angeles. But the thing that sort of like opened the doors for me was when I first moved to Los Angeles, I um, I did a, a comedy showcase uh, for CBS. They have the, these diversity initiatives. So um, they had the, the CBS diversity uh, comedy showcase. And um, that was where... I really sort of like got my foot into the door. It opened a lot of doors for me. It's where I got my agent, where a lot of casting directors saw me, how I got my first professional acting job ever. Um, and my first movie uh, was through that program. And, you know, I, th I think that gave, a, a, you know, a lot more people saw me from that than just by doing standup. But but you are correct. You know um, the opportunity to be seen is is a far greater um, uh, doing stand up because you can just get up on stage and do shows and and you know like huge huge creators like Judd Apatow or famously like go to these shows and and like they scope out like you know sort of like upcoming talent and in, in obscure you know uh, performance spaces. Whereas truly as an actor, like you have to go through like I got to get picked first. And then be seen under this wider sort of, you know, like on television or whatever before people start to take notice. So um, I also sort of like the fact with stand-up comedy, you you have a lot more control of um, of uh, the content, you know, that you're creating and, and the things that you want to say and and the direction of where you want to go. Yeah. So uh, Crazy Rich Asians comes along. And this is a really, I think this is a really significant movie. I mean, it opened the door for so many other Asian led films. I mean, Minari and Parasite and everything everywhere all at once. I think that in a lot of ways, crazy rich Asians sort of, you know, beat down that door. Um, would you say it's, I, I, I know it's not perfect, but is it more open today for Asian actors in Hollywood? It's definitely more open. I mean, there was, you could feel the shift, happen you know i mean and it wasn't just crazy rich asians 
that happened, you know, Crazy Rich Asians came out the same year as Black Panther did mm. as well. So there was a real sort of like conversation happening about representation and and sort of like the correct type uh, of represent. Maybe not correct. Maybe not. That's not the right word. But like, you know, a, a broader type of representation where we're not just being portrayed as you know sort of like these side characters that aren't complex and are sort of two-dimensional, um, you know, with with films like Black Panther and Crazy Rich Asians, you sort of saw a, just a wealth of, of, of portrayals of, of, you know, of how, how our community could be. Um, Ali Wong said something really um, amazing. I was just reading when she was being interviewed uh, about beef that, you know, when everybody in a show is Asian, you know, or if they're just like, if they're all Latino, if they're all African-American, what have you, um, you really get to explore the characters as their own type of people. You don't go, oh, it's the Asian one. Right. All, you know, right. That makes so sense. You just sort of like see the characters for who they are, um, for those sort of universal characteristics that we all sort of, you know, possess um and and truly i think that's what makes um the storytelling more universal even though it is sort of like shown in the lens of like these characters are all all asian all latino all you know all black whatever um it sort of levels the playing field right and sort of you just see the characters for what they're going through what's going on in their head what you know, problems they're having to to deal with, and um, and it makes the 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 story more universal. I feel. So, growing up in the Philippines, uh, tell me if this is correct. You moved here when you were sixteen years old. Is that accurate? Yeah, about fifteen, sixteen, in the mid nineties. <laughs> yeah. So, 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 growing up, um, what what did you watch? I mean, I, I'm sure you probably watched some Amer- American TV, but what was Filipino? television and movies what, what was what were your influences growing up yeah i mean the, the thing about um living in the philippines at that time you know um american culture was so uh dominant and revered you know like hollywood you know it's it's a, hollywood is a brand right it is a thing so sure. obviously like um i grew up watching a lot of american movies and a lot of american television um there was a block of, of programming um and one channel that showed sort of all the american shows i remember growing up like you know baywatch was such a thing <laughs> um murphy brown <laughs> you know um so uh i, I beverly hills 90210 um, and, you know, but the Philippines also had a very, um, a prolific and robust, uh, entertainment, uh, industry as well, but it's very, uh, it's very different. You know, the, the, certainly the, the comedy is very, is a very different tone from American comedy. Um, it's more sort of like slapstick, I would say, um, silly, very silly. Um, I think, uh, that really informed my humor as well. Cause I think it was um, a lot of times it was more along the lines of uh, sort of like Leslie Nielsen type of humor, right, right. Uh, which again is, is right. a genre that I love. So when I discovered like movies like, you know, Naked Gun and Airplane, I was like, Oh my God, like this is right on my alley. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, in, in the Philippines entertainment, like the television shows, like, 
you know, it's it's a lot like um I just have like my a runny nose, sorry. Um uh a lot of the television shows, um uh, uh variety shows were very, very, very popular. Uh sort of along the lines of Latino programming, you know, like um Sabado Gigante. Like Sabado Gigante. I love yeah, that sort show. Of those huge sort of like, you know, three hour long variety shows. Um were also like a the telephone. same. Yeah, sort of the same format uh, that they had in in Philippine television, and the thing that I actually like remember the most too that um, doesn't really happen with American uh, shows, and and they don't have the same expectation with American actors is that in the Philippines when actors when they're promoting whatever movie they're in or whatever um, television show they're in, they're sort of expected to like literally sing and dance so i remember like these actors would be invited to the variety shows to be like oh so and so's in a new movie and here they are they're going to sing a number and they would not be necessarily a singer or a dancer but that was like the expectation for <laughs> for the performance like well you have a movie out go out there and you know, sing <laughs> achy breaky heart and, and we'll put 12 backup dancers behind you and promote that movie. And I was like, oh, I guess that's what people do as an actor. And it wasn't until I became, you know, like uh, moved to America and sort of, you know, understood what, what the entertainment uh, industry was like here. And I was like, oh, there's, I don't have to do a literal song and dance for, you know, can you imagine like if whatever, you know, Scarlett Johansson had to like, <laughs> <laughs> and do a leap a song for everybody. Right. Although <laughs> sign me up. I would love to see it. I mean, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, you know, it's funny when, when I, years ago I did star search and I, and I, and I won a, a, a few of them. And I remember when you came out at the end, all of the winners were standing in a row and they, they would play uh -huh. music and they wanted everybody to just kind of like dance. You know? <laughs> and it was just so hokey and ridiculous. And it's like, I'm a comedian. I don't, you know, I, I, I could dance, but it just, but they basically, that, that was the direction. They wanted everybody yeah. to just kind of dance and look at each other. I, I love Star Search. Whatever Ed McMahon would be like, you know, three oh, and God. three quarters star. I was like, oh my God. They killed it. Only three and three quarters star? Oh. So you went back, you went to Singapore for, uh, crazy rich Asians. And I, mm -hmm. you know, I've never seen Singapore really. I didn't know what it looked like. It is, it looks just amazing. And there's that hotel and it's got yes. that crazy boat looking thing on top. I mean, what was it like shooting there? And by the way, this was your first time back to Asia, right? Since you actually left the Philippines when you yeah, were I mean, high I school had, age. I had gone back like, you know, when we first moved here, mid nineties, the next year, the very next year, my older brother and I were like, we miss home. So we went back like 97 for, um, for Christmas. Um, but I hadn't been back since, since then. So that would be filmed in 2017. So yeah, it had been so long since, since I had been back and, um, to, to Asia and it was, you know, and it was my first time going to, we filmed in Malaysia and we filmed in Singapore and it was my first time in those countries. And I didn't know what to expect. And man, like, you know, obviously I had a picture of, of, of what Singapore would be like based on reading uh, Kevin Kwan's novel. And, um, but seeing it 
in the flesh uh, with my own eyes really was like, oh my gosh, this is like, uh, you know, it was like this, you know, certainly some of the the buildings that you saw in some of the places that we visited were like, it's the future. <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> All these sort of like architectural marvels were were just, you know, like just around you. And it was really, really incredible to just be, uh, be in that setting. Um, yeah, it was really just another world. Um, and uh, I also had forgotten how hot it was. Mm. Uh, it was so, so hot. Mm. <laughs> I had to get, mm. get used to it again. <laughs> well, Aquafina, that was the first time she came on my radar. And oh my oh, God, she's I mean, a piece of work. So talk to me about the scenes that you did with her because you guys must have had an absolute blast. It was it was really really amazing. I mean, I I had known you know we had never met before. I, I knew of her certainly. Uh, you know, her her star was sort of rising at that point as well because she had, she had just done uh, Ocean Ocean's Eight right before Crazy Rich Asians, and you know it was incredible being on that set because I don't, we all just got along. Um, we knew that this project that we were doing you know was was something special. We didn't know the impact that it was going to have certainly after it had uh, been released, but um, it was just like a fun, a fun environment uh, to be in because everybody just got along and it was a, an amazing um, group of people. But I remember um, when we were filming the, the sort of makeover montage scene um, and the producers, you know, we didn't really know what, gowns were going to be used what dresses were going to be used for uh for that scene so um we saw some of them so they were like if you could you know write some jokes about what you want to say and but a lot of that scene that we did for the montage scene was improvised because we didn't know what was going to come out and it was just one of those perfect moments where um where you just had like a really good tennis partner and mm. you sort of like would mm throw something uh, at Aquafina and she would throw it right back at you. Mm. And, you know, and, and thank God a lot of times, a lot of the times I was able to throw it right back because sometimes she would just hit something. And I was like, I, I have nothing for that um, because that was <laughs> such a great joke. Um, but, you know, as, as you all saw in the movie, it was, it turned out so well and it was such a fun day on set. We were just, I don't know. Some, sometimes I just look at the things that I've done. I'm like, I can't believe I'm paid to do all of this. I'm basically yeah, just yeah. being paid to be a great. silly idiot <laughs> for a living, <laughs> which is uh, it's great. It's a great gig. It's a great it's gig. It's amazing. Yeah. Silly idiot. I, I yeah. like to, I, I actually, I get paid for that as well, believe it or not. Yeah. Um, it's the best job. It, it really is. is. So, so you played in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. I would, I would describe you as sort of bad guy number two. You're like yeah. the runner-up bad guy, um, <laughs> and James Gunn is the director. Uh, what's it like working on a, a big budget Chris Pratt, Zoe Saldana, all these? And were you a Marvel fan going into it? I was a huge Marvel fan growing up in the Philippines. That was actually, other than um, you know, movies and, and television. Um, I collected comic books as a kid. Um, you know, I was a huge like. X-Men was my thing. X-Men, X-Men was my thing too. Yeah. yeah. So I collected X-Men, X-Force, Excalibur, Power Packs from Marvel. I was a huge Marvel guy. I played like Dungeons and Dragons. So um, I even have, I think my mom still has some of my um, 
comic book collection like somewhere in the philippines at my aunt's house or something i gotta go through that because you know i have some like signed comics by jim lee and wilson portachio and art adams and you know these these amazing comic book artists that i that i love um but yeah i was huge huge marvel fan uh being in a marvel movie was one of those bucket list things that i have always wanted but like i you know like I didn't even really know how that was going to be possible because I'm not really like superhero, you know, like I don't look like Chris Pratt, you know, or, you know, like I don't got a superhero body. Like, you know, like I always kind of knew that maybe my point of entry would be, you know, like the funny whatever guy who was like on, on the controls like whatever <laughs> you know um so when when this role uh came about like I, I really didn't know what i was auditioning for really like you know these these movies famously create fake sides uh for the audition process um it's very very secretive and i um yeah i i kind of like I knew going into it that I was auditioning for for Guardians because after reading the signs, I was like, what is this for? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if I'm signing all these like, you know, very hush-hush things, and I think eventually they were like, it's, it's for Guardians. And um, and I was a huge fan of the first two movies as well. So um, I really was just like, well, I'm just going to have fun with this because, you know, I love the tone of the first two movies so i'm just gonna have fun with this i kind of judging from the size i kind of maybe had an idea what they were looking for so yeah and i was like the thought of being cast in a marvel movie was just like it's never gonna happen yeah right right (laughs) so i'm just like you know just shoot your shot because like it's not gonna happen so i just you know had fun with it and uh man um, lo and behold, it, it did happen, and I was uh, it was such an amazing experience. This was my first time working on a, on a movie of that scale and that genre, and it really is like it was really like doing theater because everything was such like a production, hmm. uh, and sets were amazing, and the costumes, everything was just like you know you're working with the best of the best uh, in in the industry. So it was really, yeah, it was really incredible just to be around that. Let me jump in. I want to ask you one thing. I want to ask okay. you one thing. So I was also a comic book kid. I, I'm a, I'm also a gay guy. And uh, X-Men for me was, I don't know when I realized that it was a gay allegory, mm-hmm. but at some point I, I was drawn to it as a kid. Like here's this group of, you know, superheroes who are different and special and go to a different school and all that kind of stuff. When did that strike you that it was, it was sort of that, that part of the story was there? You know, growing up, I didn't even make that correlation, even though I knew very young that I was queer, you know, like even before I had words to sort of label what I was, I I knew I was different. Um, And I think subconsciously as a kid reading those comics, um, you know, yeah, that, what was that's what I was drawn to was like these group of people are different and um and and how they've sort of like have banded together as as a family and and you, truly you know that's why I love the Guardians franchise so much especially in this third um in this the, in volume three is that it really is a queer allegory 
you know, mm. like the lengths, it's about chosen family and the lengths that you would go through to protect that family, mm. you know, uh, yeah. at all costs. And, you know, like these, you know, people, you know, they're fighting of this benevolent force that wants them to conform to their vision of what the right. world yeah, should you're be. Right. But, but they <laughs> just want to be who they truly are. And they have this chosen and found family who will protect them and will cherish them and, and will just let them be who yep. they are. And, you know, what better, uh, uh, allegory for for what the LGBTQIA plus community is going through than than this film, and I think that's why. And to to anybody who really truly feels like different, yeah, you know, and I think that's why these movies, Guardians in particular, I think speaks to a lot of people that way because you know um, I think it's it's the truly different people of this world who who create the most beautiful and interesting things hmm. and. Just, you know, leave us in peace and let us make the world beautiful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, I yeah. agree. <laughs> yes, that's a great sentiment. So um, just one more thing about Guardians. Um, your character is very, very evil. And unless you have some hidden dark side to you that we don't know about, how do you, how do you, because it, it really is, the, the part was really a departure uh, for you. Uh, how do you, how do you access that as an actor? Where do you go, where do you go to find this character? Yeah, that's what I love about playing characters like Theo, you know, and even like with Mateo on Superstore, you know, like he, there was a lot of sort of like unlikable qualities about him. But the, the, the thing about playing Theo is that, yeah, he, he was really such a, an evil, evil being, but you know, obviously in real life, I'm, I'm not the type of person, but when you are doing a project like this, um, and, and you're in an environment where you feel, sort of safe to sort of explore those themes and, and, and those traits of, of the character. And, you know, in that setting where it's just like the spaceship and the, you know, the, the lab and, and all that, <laughs> it's just, you know, like James Gunn really sort of like opens the door for you and he's just like, go and play. And, and you really can just like run around wild and, and, and do whatever. And he'll tell you if it's, if you're going too far, you know, I mean, yeah. there are a couple of times, there were a couple of times on set where he's like, I mean, maybe not that much, you know, these are like, <laughs> these are like baby animals. I'm like, all right, I'm just, you know, just figuring out, you know, how far to go here. Um, but that was, yeah, that was the wonderful thing about, uh, about this project is that, you know, it, it's not, every day that you can can play such a despicable person and and so it's kind of fun to sort of like just let loose and like you know because knowing that like obviously you're uh that it's just within this sort of like you know like made up space that you're doing that so it's it feels um very freeing to sort of indulge that part of your psyche because you know it's not yeah. you're not obviously hurting real animals and you're not you know so it's um yeah it's sort of fun to explore those those sort of like personality traits that uh that aren't in you usually because you're like am i capable of something like this well i'm not but you know whoever this person is is sure certainly at that place so um why not just uh explore that and, and sort of run free and see what so it takes. i love a good romantic comedy i am a i'm <laughs> a huge fan going all the way back like i i majored in pop culture 
believe it or not. That was my <laughs> major in school. So I went back. We I did a whole comedy or a whole class on comedies of the 30s, the romantic comedies like it happened one night. And this movie, uh, Happiness for Be- Beginners, which we got a sneak preview of, feels like that. It's really an old-fashioned movie. Ellie Kemper's a delight. Luke Grimes is great. Your character is a big scene stealer. The movie's about a group of people who go on a long hike through Connecticut, camping along the way. I guess, do you have any experience camping? Are you a camping guy? Uh, were you actually roughing it while you were shooting this movie? Um, I am, listen, I love nature. I love the outdoors, but I am not a fan of roughing it. I think <laughs> nature should be admired and enjoyed next to a five-star hotel, just as God intended. Um, <laughs> so or, my, or on wall, all, all on wallpaper yes, in your room. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Um, I love, you know, like my, my, my fiance jokes with me all the time that I, the only time I, I love being around nature is, you know, when it's within the Ritz Carlton, which is true. Uh, I do. I love it. Uh, but, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a camper. Uh, in fact, like, uh, you know, years and years ago, um, my, my, group of friends I'm, I'm friends with all these like butch gays who love to do camping and outdoorsy stuff my you know uh, fiance included um and they they were like we'll we'll take you camping we'll take you camping i'm like all right i have one stipulation is that i need a flushing toilet hmm. i need i am not shitting in the woods <laughs> wiping my butt. <laughs> I am a grown ass man. I don't need to do that. So I'll camp. I'll walk as to whatever waterfall lake you want me to go to, but I need to be able to shit and shower in peace. Um, so, <laughs> um, they gladly oblige. And we had a, an amazing time, but you know, filming, uh, filming happiness was really great. Uh, I, the great part about filming that movie is that, you know, we filmed in all these amazing locales in, in, in Connecticut and the Appalachian trail and, and all that. But because we couldn't obviously put the trailers, um, uh, where we were filming, um, the cast, uh, sort of, we just had sort of like this tent, um, you know, set up like near where we were filming and our chair. So we were sort of like, we're sort of just forced to hang out in between shots with each other instead of like, peace out. I'll see you in my trailer, trailer, you know, whatever. Um, I'll be in my trailer and, you know, people just sort of go in their ways. We really were sort of like, uh, together for 14 hours a day at all mm. times. And we got to know each other really well. And, um, you know, I, I've, I've been really, really fortunate that the projects that I've worked on, you know, everybody still keeps in touch. We're still on this text chain. I nice. mean, for everything, you know, with Crazy Rich Asians, Superstore, this movie as well. Um, yeah, it, it was a real bonding experience between everybody. And uh, it, it was, I don't know, again, it was one of those moments where I'm just kind of looking around like, we're getting paid to work. Like, and this beautiful waterfall is literally right behind us. And we're making a movie. It's just like, I, I just, I don't even know how I got here from like halfway across the world where yeah. I was like 44 years ago. How I ended up here is just, crazy to me so you hmm. met your fiance i think at the 50th anniversary of the uh, stonewall riots is that right 
Well, we met at no, we met at the Glad Awards. Oh, at the Glad Awards. Uh, yeah, okay. the Glad Awards. It might have been, I don't know, it might have been the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall, but we met at the Glad Awards um five years ago. Um my plus one knew his plus one. And uh at the after party, we sort of all four of us sort of like met. We're like, oh hey, there's so and so. And um yeah, we met at the after party and he was actually flirting with my plus one. Hmm. and was possibly going to go home <laughs> with my plus one. And I don't know what happened, but I was, I made the first move, which I never do. I never approach guys. I'm very introverted and shy, believe it or not. I, I never, never, ever approach men on my own um, because I just, um, I just don't do that. But for whatever reason, that night I was kind of just like, "Can I get you a drink?" And was putting <laughs> all these smooth moves, apparently. Nice. And uh, you know, uh, we ended up like uh, talking and making out till four in the morning that night, and uh, that was like five years ago. And now we're getting married. That's great. That's great. That's great. Yeah. So um, I'm interested in this story. You went to Southern Oregon University, right? By the I way, did. I'm working totally from your Wikipedia page. So <laughs> if, if something's wrong, please, please tell me. So, okay. It says here you were a firefighter. So, so according to Wikipedia, there's a teacher at uh, Southern Oregon University who discouraged you from acting and wanted you to switch over to costume design. Is that, Is that- true? Is that really on Wikipedia? That uh, is on Wikipedia. Yeah. Oh my God. Is that be true? Careful. It is true. Is it wrong? It, is it, it? It's not wrongopedia. It's not wrongopedia. It is. It is rightopedia. Uh, it is correctopedia. It is. It is right. <laughs> Listen. Full disclosure: I was not the best student, but I also know that looking back at it now, that program was just not for me um but they they were not very encouraging of of my aspirations uh to be an actor and uh yeah was told that um that this uh this business is probably not for me and that um and because of my uh interest in design you know my interest in in costume design was born out of collecting comic books because i would Mm. design the costume sure, sure. and all that, but then would like uh, design like, well, you know, this is star girl. And she's also going to a brunch before this, before she saves the world. So I would draw like <laughs> <laughs> what she would be wearing at her brunch before she changes her costume. Um, but you know, they, they also recognize this talent that I had for design and they really sort of just like pushed me as like, this is better suited for you. But, you know, I will say that program was also in a small town in Oregon. Um, I was literally maybe one of three people of color in in Mm. that department. So, and the notion of colorblind casting was not a thing in, in, in that department. So there just really wasn't a place for me and they weren't willing to make space for somebody like me. Hmm. Um, and so they were like, you should just be a costume designer because you are not, you don't have what it takes to be an actor. Um, wow. And that's, you know, being a designer seems more suited for you. And, um, you know, and I hate the fact that still, I, I still sort of carry that experience with me and how much it informed uh, what I believed about my talent and what I believed about myself sure. for so many sure. years. Um, because it wasn't until I got out of that environment 
where somebody, you know, uh, you know, I started working as a, a, a dresser for a theater company, uh, working with costumes and stuff, um, where an actor I was in charge of, of, of dressing was the one who was like, you're really funny. Like, you should be performing stand-up. Hmm. Um, and, it, and even though I was a fan of stand-up, it really didn't click in my head that that was another avenue to performing um, because I, you know, just thought that like, well, the only way to be an actor is to be like Laurence Olivier and to do Shakespeare and Chekhov. And you're not an actor if you don't do those things. <laughs> um, and, you know, um, I, and I think even back, back then, people really didn't give legitimacy to comedic acting. Um, and it's really funny that now when I talk to dramatic actors, that they're like, man, you do stand up or you do comedy. That's the one thing I can't do. Um, where, you know, I guess like grass is always greener because I look at what they do and I'm just like, oh God, if I had to do a scene where, you know, like, I'm, you know, my family's just been killed and I had to like, you know, process that whatever emotion. I'm like, I don't know, you know, like it, it uh, I've certainly had to do dramatic scenes in Superstore before and, and stuff like that. But, you know, again, that's like, a muscle that I'm like, I don't know how to do mm-hmm. what you're doing. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, they did discourage me. Um, and um, I'm just, gl- I'm just glad that I finally was able to sort of like shake myself uh, out of that um, thinking and uh, discover my, my passion for performance through comedy. Um, because it is, you know, like, um, you know, as legitimate uh, a way of performing as dramatic. Of course. This is a different medium. You know, I think, um, you know, musicians, uh, I don't know, like nobody questions whether like a musician is like, oh, you play the piano, you play the guitar, whatever, like, oh, that's your instrument. But when you're like, I'm an actor um, and, you know, I, I confidently label myself like, I do comedy. That's the, my bread and butter. That's what I get hired to do. Um, you know, there seems to be like this hierarchy of like, well, you're not like Meryl Street, you know, you're you're not doing dramatic acting or Shakespeare, so you're not an actor. I'm like, no, it's just a different medium. It's a different, yeah. it's, play a different instrument. Well, and, and, I, the- and I and I and I truly believe that I think it's more difficult to do comedy than it is to do dramatic acting. I don't. Think, I think so uh, too. It's. I think it's much more difficult. I don't think that every every actor who is a, a wonderful dramatic actor can can cross over, but the ones that do, you know, like yeah. the Harrison Fords, you know, who you would never expect yeah. to actually be funny in something. I mean, that's that's definitely a special gift. But um, that's why yeah. I get so mad when I meet or see performance actors that I admire, who I know from their dramatic work, who are so funny uh on screen i'm just like that's not fair like you're such a good dramatic <laughs> actor you're gorgeous and now you're funny like come on uh but i i i, I absolutely agree i think um you know people people can um faking laughter as a response is a very hard thing to do so yeah. especially i see this when i'm doing stand-up you know like uh, genuine laughter, you know the difference between genuine laughter and or when an audience is just like ha, 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 like sort of like going along you, with it. Yeah, give you that fake laughter. You can tell right away. And people will sit through bad theater, but they won't sit through bad comedy. 
So mm-hmm. get up and leave. Yes, yes. So get up and leave. Timing, so timing, timing. Yeah. Timing is, 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 is difficult. Yeah. yeah. But I yeah. mean, like people will sit through like, you know, four hours of bad Shakespeare and then afterwards, like, oh God, that was awful. But like a bad comedy show, people will just get up and leave or like throw drinks on stage or, you know, throw tomatoes at you or whatever. Yeah. What's the expression? Dying is easy. Comedy is hard. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, much to the chagrin of some professor at uh, Southern Oregon University, it seems like everything is going pretty well, man. You're, you're, uh, <laughs> you're out there. You're doing great. Um, uh, this has been great to have you on. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is now streaming, I think, and Happiness for Beginners will start streaming on Netflix on July the 27th. Uh, Nico, thanks a lot for doing this, man. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. There you have it, Nico Santos. And by the way, happiness for beginners, we didn't talk a lot about, but I absolutely loved it. And it really is kind of an old fashioned meet cute and fall in love and all, all that stuff. Uh, it really, really mm-hmm. works. And he is a scene stealer, but by the way, a scene stealer in everything he does. Absolutely. Yeah. He's great. He's really, really fun to watch. So I am, uh, I think I texted you. We are, I want to be quiet this because one is listening so um on wednesday we're getting a new dog well i saw that you had posted something and i don't know why i'm whispering because one is not here one cannot um, hear you he can, but, i know i know but it, it just feels weird for me to talk different while yeah. you're talking to me like well, this. it's very it's so a very so i saw pixar's commitment yeah no but i so he, does he not want another dog? He's going back and forth a little bit. And I have my heart set on Mike. And I think I finally talked him into it. So I'm pretty sure the Mike thing is going to happen. It's going to happen on Wednesday. But I'm nervous and I don't want to jinx. Okay. He's really cute. Is Myrtle, is right? Is that the dog's name? Myrtle? Uh, well, no, that was the lie of the day. His name is actually going to be Mike. It's a him. Oh, it's a him. Okay. It's a him. So we'll have uh, okay. Ron and Mike. <laughs> So funny when we interviewed Stephen Wright, yeah. he was saying uh, he loved the fact that your dog's name was Ron. Yeah, Ron is such a non non dog. Just a guy name. name. Yeah, yeah a guy yeah. name. All right. Uh, well, there you have it. Um, if you are listening on Spotify or Apple, we appreciate you being out there, and hopefully, you've subscribed to the show. Um, we are on YouTube. If you want to see the show, if you're listening now and you want to see it, you can go to youtube.com and search Culture Pop Podcast and we will pop right up. There's all kinds of really good stuff there if you've missed it. Uh, Cassidy Freeman was great and uh, uh, who else? Uh, Jacqueline Bissett Andrew, was fantastic. Andrew McCarthy. Andrew McCarthy. Yeah, I mean, we've had really good stuff lately. So definitely go uh, check that out. Um, we're recording this on Friday, June the 30th. So that means uh, you won't see it until a while from now. But I'm going on vacation, so I'm really excited. Why are you whispering that? I, you know, I don't know. I don't, I just, the whisper thing is just interesting to me. Um, all right, uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for watching. Watching, We appreciate you. Sue, great seeing you. And we will see everybody next time on the Culture Pop Podcast. Culture Pop.